Welcome to Dentology, the Business of Dentistry podcast. In this podcast, we delve into the non-clinical aspects of dentistry with inspirational guests from across the profession. You will hear incredible life stories, pick up valuable business tips and be entertained. I'm Andy Acton and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Drevens. So, talking to Doug was the most enjoyable of ours, wasn't it? What an absolute gent. Oh, brilliant. I love I love the fact of the music that he's interested to in and what he does. That interesting thing on the scanning and litigation, which is uh, which would be a good one for people to think about if uh, when they're listening. So, uh, yeah, I thought it was great. And he's just a nice guy, isn't he? Very self-effacing. Yeah, yeah, and incredibly talented as well. I mean, he plays down um, the music side of his life heavily but when you listen to the stuff that he's created um he's a he's a good guy but also it shows that he's passionate about stuff passionate about mm. music you know passionate about his family passionate about digital dentistry you know he's he's interested in things and, and that really comes through mm. yeah definitely definitely it's good stuff good yeah stuff. very enjoyable it was yeah another 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 great one we get so many they keep coming yeah, I think they're all just interesting people, aren't they, with interesting lives. Not only are they involved in dentistry in some way, um, but they're just interesting people. And I think that's what's fascinating about it all, really. Yeah, and I think where you find people who are multifaceted, you know, like Doug, um, it just brings that extra that extra 1%, that extra degree mm. that, that, that makes people slightly different. Now, good. And people yeah. enjoy that one, I'm sure. So welcome everybody and here we are today we are so over the moon because we are joined by Dr Doug Watt and he's the musical dentist. He's a dentist, he's a partner at the Euston Place Dental Practice over in Leamington Spa, a musician and if you haven't already you should check out his content on Facebook and Instagram because he is a serious talent. Hi Doug, how are you doing? Very well, hi, how are you? We are. Hello. Good. Yeah, good to see you. Look, even with the studio already like ready yeah. to make some music. That's set a proper setup, isn't yeah. it? It's, it's like we yeah. just dropped it in is. on like some proper rock god, like it's an Aerosmith type guy, and he's just spun round in his chair to talk yeah. to us for a few <laughs> minutes. <laughs> Hi guys, yeah, sorry, I was just chilling and you know, uh playing with the band and <laughs> no, yeah. nothing no, like no, that. No, 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 Sadly. no pressure, Doug. Make make sure you live up to it. No. Yeah, I need I need to do the full rock star thing, don't I? You know, and yeah, I don't know if I manage that. It's been a busy morning in surgery. I think my it's my rock star vibes are gone. And pick up a bottle of whiskey or something. <laughs> like. That's what I like. um, <laughs> yeah. chamomile and honey tea to help my voice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here we are. Slightly now different level. Uh, yeah. Or, yeah, this or, is seriously or so hard Doug stuff. Says it is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah. It could. Who knows what it could? It could be anything in there. Anything yeah, at all. It could. It <laughs> could. Come on, no. tea. Um, so I mean, uh, kick, whiskey. Yeah. So to kick off, Doug, um, as someone who's now got a teenager in the house, um, what things mm-hmm. do we need to know about you as a teenager that give us an insight to the person you are today? I suppose. Um, as a teenager, I was, I, I, I guess, sort of going into secondary school and things like that. I think most people are quite awkward and find, find that stage of their lives a bit difficult. Um, I guess I spent a lot of my time playing the guitar and doing kickboxing and things to, to sort of just, I, I suppose I was never really pushed by my parents into music and hobbies. And so it was something that as I came into my teenage years, I had an interest and I wanted to get involved in. So I remember um, being in a, a music lesson when I was probably 12, 13 at school, secondary school, and the, and the music teacher said, who who wants to learn an instrument? And anyone got any interest in it? And I put my hand up and said electric guitar, which I think a lot of the, the cool kids um, thought was quite funny, the thought of me playing electric guitar. But, you know, I got into I got into it and I, I sort of spent most of my teenage years doing that. So I think it's it's an odd time of life. And, you know, I try and remind myself that for my now 13-year-old, um, yeah, how difficult it can be in trying to find yourself and discover who you are and that mm. strange balance between being your own person and being the person your parents tell you to be in certain situations. It's a very odd Mm. Odd mm. feeling, I suppose. I think also at that time in um, life, were you, you get... one of those guys? Sorry, God, Chris. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, were you one of those guys, Doug, that you know used to magically magic up a guitar at a moment? You know, like you go somewhere and someone says, "Oh, 
uh, what do we do tonight? And then you go, oh, I just happen to have a guitar. Uh, yeah, <laughs> look at this. Um, <laughs> I could do that now. <laughs> my magic trick. Um, no, I, not at that point. I, I think I was probably a bit too self-conscious. And it, it's interesting. I was really um, quite into singing when I was in junior school because um, I was in the choir and I was, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. And I, I always enjoyed singing. But then I got to teenagers, went to secondary school and got a lot more self-conscious and, you know, thought joining a choir terrified me and the thought of actually singing in front mm. of people scared the hell out of me um so no i think i can only think of you know a few times probably as i got into my university career when i ended up at parties or things like uh, i remember the final year of the bdsa conference i took a guitar along and we sat in a bar till three in the morning playing playing and singing songs so wow, in a wow. big group of people and things like that so that that was kind of but that wasn't that wasn't my teenage years i, I was far too mm. self-conscious to uh, do that i mean i don't think it helps I was, I was 14 years old with size 15 feet and about five foot 10 tall so you know i, I was l-shaped oh, wow. My feet, my feet stuck out almost as long. You know, it's ridiculous. So, yeah, luckily I kept growing. And then, <laughs> yeah, but I, grew I into think them. for so many people, teenage years are awkward. And it's, it's interesting you kind of saying that, that mm. kind of awkwardness that comes with it because there's so much chucked at teenagers that they're not prepared for, like their sleep patterns changing and mm. that kind of intensity mm. of studying. There, there's a lot that you've got to get through at a time where, like you said, you're still trying to find out who you are and what you're about and what interests you. But yeah. it was nice to hear that your parents gave you the freedom to find the things that interest you as opposed to kind of push you down yeah. certain routes. Yeah, I think, you know, I had I had one or two violin lessons when I was at school and junior school and things like that, but oh, my parents never pushed disaster. it. Yeah, I know. Horrible. Horrible, horrible solo <laughs> Why instrument. Why did they give? Uh, yeah. I know. Why yeah, would you I mean, give I that? I never understand it's it. Like, we, I mean, you, I, you just so quickly given bagpipes, wouldn't you? <laughs> like yeah. Horrendous noises. Yeah, I, I never understand it. They, the, the worst sounding instrument when you play it badly, they then give to small oh, yeah. children. It's yeah. the, if that's not enough to put people off music forever. Uh, yeah, <laughs> between, between probably a, a seven-year-old playing violin and a five-year-old trying to play the recorder, you know, it's, it, that oh, house does not oh, sound nice, does it? Yeah. Um, no, I think no. it was, yeah, my parents didn't push me. And I think you see a lot of the people who took up uh, instruments to say five years old and then were pushed, pushed, pushed. And they hit grade eight mm. by 12, 13, they hit their teenage years and they're not interested. They don't want to carry on playing. Um, cause it, cause yeah. it the joy of it, I suppose has was been it? squashed a bit. Yeah. yeah. It, they never did it because mm. they enjoyed it. They did it cause yeah. they were made to do it. And you know, mm. it's, it's quite sad if you really, if you enjoy doing something, you pick it up. Cause, and I don't think until you're probably a teenager, you can really, work out what you really want to do or enjoy. I mean, you know, speak mm. to my uh, and, speak and to my younger son now and he'd probably just want to bounce on trampolines all day and do forward rolls everywhere mm. as a career. But obviously not a valid <laughs> career choice, but, well, might be. Who knows? <laughs> Doug, are you, are you one of these uh, irritating people who can, like, play lots of different instruments or have a go at them, you know, sort of like, oh, well, I can, I can play the guitar so I can do this and do that. And whilst you might not be as good as you are on one, but you're still sort of proficient and can knock a noise out. Um, no, I, you know, I, I can, I can play a few little bits on keyboard, but I'm not great by any stretch of the imagination and I can play a few beats on the drums, but I'm not, I'm not sort of, uh, the level of some people who just seem to know, pick up any instrument and be able to play it. You know, I've spent a lot of time on my guitar. That's my, that's my thing. As you can probably see from the, actually you probably can't see cause this clip down, there's about seven guitars in a rack behind me and a load of other guitars around the room. So oh, wow. um, uh, yeah, I, I said, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very much a guitarist and secondary, secondarily a singer. And then, yeah, I'll probably drums would be my third, but I'm not, not great by any, any stretch. I love, I love the fact that you're like, well, yeah, not really. And I'm thinking, I can't play a guitar. I probably couldn't <laughs> knock out a few tunes on a, on a piano and drums. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's that, that yeah. all relative, isn't it? For me, yeah, but a, a complete musical numbskull. <laughs> yeah, I suppose it's I the difference between I can play, over, play a couple of things on the piano. Yeah, but, but what you were saying, Doug, I've, I've Sorry, seen your, the bits that you upload online and, and, and you clearly mm. enjoy it. You clearly enjoy the creation yeah. of it. You know, they're putting it together, and and like I say, it's it's really enjoyable to watch because when you see people, particularly perhaps mm. younger kids who are told to do something, the joy isn't there. You know, when it's something you're passionate about, mm. it just 
it, it just shows and it shows in lots of different, even yeah. lots of different ways so we've 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 been chatting nice about yeah. music but we've gone nowhere near dentistry yet which is your day job so what was it that sparked you know your i can i can go for dentistry? hours speaking without dentistry <laughs> <laughs> I um, bet. so i uh, I <laughs> could talk about guitars all day. No, uh, I I think when I was I was interested in a vocational job when I was in my sort of A levels, and I, I it was always kind of a, a presumed thing that I just do my A levels, go to university. My I, I didn't really ever. I think that's the way my parents pretty much said it was going to happen. So I just I presumed that was what was going to happen. Um, and so a vocational job was relatively attractive because uh, at the time there are a lot of reports of people coming out with pure science degrees out of uni not being able to get a job in any way linked to their degree or their subject matter and you know with income of eight thousand pounds a year or whatever it was so you know lowest income you could get and so um i remember my sort of my mum talking to me about it and saying you know i maybe consider consider dentistry i was interested in veterinary medicine i did quite a lot of um work experience in veterinary medicine um, but my mum, my mum, I think she saw my dentist's car and his lifestyle. Because um, my dad, my dad's a retired <laughs> anaesthetist. Um, and he right. used to work with a lot of dentists because ah. he did the special needs dental list at the Birmingham Dental Hospital. And so our dentist oh, wow. was someone my dad knew. And I think my mum saw it, you mm. know, he was driving a nice car. He had a nice lifestyle. <laughs> thought that's, And saw my dad going out at three in the morning to go and do an emergency on call or whatever. So I think at that point, mum probably said to me, you know, do do something that's a bit more, a bit more family centric, a bit more family friendly. Um, mm. And I, as she said, she suggested dentistry, and I did. And I didn't. I suppose I didn't really ex- understand what I was getting into or what to expect until I got to uni. Which I think a lot of you, a lot of the students don't. When you're 18 years old and you've me- got to make a decision on how you're going to spend the rest of your natural existence, mm. <laughs> it's a bit, bit of a and, big and, ask and, at that age, isn't it? Yeah, and, and quite often people are guided by somebody. But it sounds like your mum had really good kind mm. of logic. To why it would work for you um, yeah yeah and so you, you, you I, I, I think she was in... so go I, I yeah i think she was she was not burned but somewhat aware of how my my dad's career in hospital medicine was mm. you know very very hard um and you know hard on him but also a, a big big uh sort of part of all our lives so i think yeah she was she was the one who sort of pushed me in the direction of dentistry um yeah, and I, I think I think it was the right thing. You know, I, I wanted to go mm. to London and do a diploma in guitar playing for the year, and then become a rock star. But um, you know, uh, well, could have been a very different scenario. Now, I could have been the slightly slimmer, Absolutely. slightly better looking Lewis Capaldi. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't go to London to be a rock star. You went to Birmingham to become a dentist. No. So what was it's your bit, what was your dental yeah. school experience like? Um, when you put it like that, the wrong decision. Um, but no, uh, I think <laughs> dental school. D- dental school was an interesting one because you again, it's another transition. Like like becoming a teenager, you're you become an adult pretty much. You, you you're thrown out into the world. I mean, I wasn't so much thrown out into the world because my parents lived in Birmingham. I went to Birmingham Dental School, but I did live in live in. Um, uh, halls of residence and have a relatively sort of. Uh, independent lifestyle compared to living in my parents' house, and you again, you're thrown into this, and you're sort of you're an adult. It's all self-directed learning. You have to you have to learn all this yourself. But also at dental school, you're kind of still treated a bit like a kid. In the it's a lot more um, focused than a lot of degrees because you have to go to the lectures, you have to attend for the clinics, you have to do all these mm-hmm. things. Whereas uh, you know you've got other other courses which aren't quite as pushy and, and focused so I think it was I, I had a really good time at uni I you know walked the middle of the t- tightrope I suppose on on getting through all my exams and passing but also having a good social life I definitely wasn't one of the students who stayed in all, all night <laughs> so you didn't uh, overdo party I didn't, you didn't uh, overdo education <laughs> I'm not going to say I d- didn't overdo partying um I think on occasion <laughs> that might have happened um not every night <laughs> yeah but also yeah study, every night study, yeah no I, I i did study as well so yeah no i think it's an interesting balance and i think the thing is um you, you sort of you like need to find that balance as you came as i came out dental uh you know uh a levels took a gap year went into dental school and it was all it, it's just 
always these changes and transitions are difficult, I think, for anyone, but especially at those ages where you're really, you're really swapping and changing quite regularly where, what your position in the world is um, and how you fit into situations. And it's a very odd dynamic. And then, you know, did you, you come say out you the did other a gap year, Doug? Or? I did, yeah. Um, I wish I did, could say did I did loads. <laughs> I worked, I worked a, a, um, in a landscape gardening company. I also worked um, in a hospital as a theatre porter. Um, and then I was the uh, junior instructor of my martial arts club. And then at the end of the gap year, just as I was coming into first year of uni, that I started teaching the guitar. So as a, as a Saturday job. So yeah, I didn't, I wish I'd gone traveling or done something a bit more, but you know, I, I did that in my elective. That was fine. But it was one of those, mm. one of those things where I should have uh, gone with my gut instinct. But I think there was a girl martial involved arts. as well. Yeah. 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 I did a lot. Do you still do martial, martial arts? Uh, so I, my younger son has, took up karate last year so now sunday mornings although i haven't been for the last few weeks sunday mornings we go to a local karate club um and the other week i was i was trying to trying to fight against uh some of the other guys in the club and i realized my hips don't work quite you thought i was going to burst into a shakira song then didn't you my hips don't work quite like they used to not, not, not they don't lie they just don't work um, so I'm there trying to throw kicks at people's heads and getting halfway through and shouting ouch and the instructor looking over going, oh, you're all right. I was like, yeah, I'm absolutely fine. I'm just 43. Um, you kickboxed so, yeah, kick to a high a, standard, didn't you? As a, as a younger man, you did kickbox to a national yeah, level. So, yeah, so in 98, <coughs> I used to compete. Uh, I competed in Kung Fu Nationals, uh, BKFA so and IAKSA, so the national competitions. And I used to do the yearly national competitions and do local competitions and stuff. So, yeah, I used to enjoy that um, back when I was a lot younger. But then, uh, yeah, I got to, got to uni and I still carried on, but it's just, yeah, obviously work and things became more more full on. Mm. So, mm. so, yeah, I could have been Bruce Lee. I could have been Jimi Hendrix, but I decided to be... Um, I can't even think of a, a dentist. <laughs> Doc holiday was it? I don't uh, know. Honestly, be, be, be Doug what? That, 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 that spot's free for you. Yeah, you that's, that's what I did. Yeah. I, I thought, <laughs> Jimi Hendrix, he's already there. Bruce Lee, he's already there. You know what? Dentistry's missing a superstar. So. Dentistry needs <laughs> yeah. a Doug what? That's what it needs. Yeah. So you, yeah. you obviously you did, your, you did your, what was it, in VT back then. You qualified. You were in a, so mm-hmm. How long were you an associate before you decided to get into practice ownership? Uh, 10 years. So I, I graduated 2003 and I did 10 years, 10 years, majority NHS practice. Um, and 2013, I, I moved into, um, Houston place. Um, uh, and did you go there as an associate with a view to buying in or was there an opportunity to buy in as a partner straight off? No. Um, so I bought in as a partner straight off. Uh, so it was a guy who I'd known for a good few years, um, who was retiring and yeah, I, I bought bought his share of the business, and um, his wife used to work with me at one of the practices I worked with, and she she sort of seemed to um, headhunt the people who who took over from partners as they retired. Mm-hmm. So uh, Paul Paul Mulligan, who is one of my partners, he took over from um, someone that can, he used to work with with Rosie in the practice, and then um, yeah, I, I I took over from Andrew um, in two thousand and thirteen. Mm-hmm. So it's a yeah, very quick ten years and really. And never looked back. Yeah, I never looked back indeed. <laughs> and it's and it's quite a significant practice, isn't it? Because it's eight, it's a private practice, eight yeah. surgeries in Leamington Spa. There's four yeah. partners running it. And h- how have you found? Mm-hmm. Did, did you, whilst you got kind of approached, which is which is flattering and, and amazing in its own right, did you always mm. see yourself getting into ownership in partnership with others as opposed to being a sole principal? Or was it something that the opportunity came I, up and it, and it just suited you? I suppose um, I was open to any of the options, really. I my. I quite like the idea of partnership because you're not the buck doesn't stop with you necessarily. In that, if you go away on holiday, there are yeah. there are other people there. There's always other people around. My, yeah. uh, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of uh, people who own practices solely, um, and you know, although you might have associates, they never have the same level of. Um, care or drive towards the practice, I suppose, as as you would as an owner, because they don't have to. They don't have that. If you if you go away on holiday, you've got to, you've still got everything 
yeah. you've still got to sort out who's covering you. You still have to know who's. So I would, I, I think at the time I would have happily bought into a partnership. I would have probably looked to go as an associate with a view to buy from a, from a dentist, say a retiring colleague or something like that. Yeah. Or I also would have happily, um, you know, set up a squat. Um, I think probably setting up a squat would have been the least happily, <laughs> happily thing. I think since COVID, the idea of setting up a squat's been a lot more attractive because we've seen the number of new patients who are just sort of yeah. flying into the practice without us having to actually do advertising or anything. Whereas mm. if the thought mm. of going somewhere and going, right, I'm going to put myself out there and say, yeah. I'm taking on patients and no one turning up is quite a terrifying thing. And if you've got no word of mouth, you've got no basis to base that on because I think, mm. you know, people putting their trust in you as a dentist is a big thing. It's quite mm. a terrifying thing for, for a lot of people. So um, if you're new to the area and new to dentistry and no one knows anything, it's it's just that worry, I suppose, of of how well that's going to go. So, I, you know, all of the options, I think I would have been happy to try if, the, if there hadn't been an option to buy and I probably would have would have gone with a squat option. But, um, mm. and I know friends who've done that and it's been successful, but yeah, and it's uh, mm. quite terrifying. I did look at a few practices to actually... Uh, purchase outright as a, as a principal and you know there were some some that were okay but a lot of the time the practices that get to the open market um uh, you know there's there's it, it, you've got to do a lot of due diligence before you know whether it's right to buy if mm. you've worked in a practice i suppose you know a lot more about the vibe of the practice and the feel of it so that 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 was my concern with buying a practice that someone was selling is you know, I didn't know yeah. <laughs> really and what I was buying. Yeah, and if an outgoing um, principal's mm. wife approaches you, you know, there's already a, a soft mm. introduction. And I, I must admit, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. You know, Chris and I, we're in business together um, across a number of different businesses and we've got other business partners. But I don't know whether I'd like the idea of being a solopreneur where literally everything is on your mm. shoulders and you have to do everything. I think I'm always very impressed by those people. So I understand the comfort that comes mm. with partners. It's huge. Yeah, and Definitely. I think I'm impressed by those people. Um, I, I think if – and you can do that very well – if you can delegate and you yeah. can get in a good business manager, you can get in mm. heads of parts of your team and you can build that side mm. of the business. So, so we can run without you there. So if I'm not there, you know, my practice manager, my head receptionist, all mm. these people can take care of the business and it runs without me present. Mm. But I suppose there, I, I would worry if, if you're not good at delegating and the, the kind of person who has to, has to be the boss and won't let anyone else be involved that's when I think things can, can fall down a little bit and, and something's got to give because no one can run a business solely on their own. No one can be a dentist no. um, in surgery full-time and then run a practice in the evening yeah, or late at night or weekends. There's too many demands on your time. There yeah. is, and it's getting worse and worse, you know, with CQC compliance, with all the different consent processes we have to go through, all that kind of stuff. You just can't, you just can't do it all yourself, uh, uh, you know. Mm. I think if, if anyone who thinks they can will probably sort of drop a ball somewhere. I think you need you need team, you need backup on that kind of stuff. Mm. Yeah. Well, we used to do a lecture. Do you remember how we used to do it? lectures and we'd say, we'd throw up on the board and we'd say, you know, um, you've got to be a marketing manager, a sales manager, a finance mm -hmm. manager, an IT manager, an ops manager, managing director, a strategy manager, um, a husband, a wife, uh, a dad <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Oh, and you have to be a dentist. Yeah. But that yeah. dentistry is basically 95% of your day. And yeah. you have to then cram in all these other the things around the you. It's just like... Exactly. Yeah, you um, know, it's just not mad, isn't it? It's not. It's not really feasible, is it? And I think, I think the further, the more these businesses. I mean, the problem is we we're automating things. We're making everything much more efficient, which you think would take the workload off us a little bit. But all it does is make give, make us more efficient at doing more work. So, you know, the the, the automation, all the, the the automated booking stuff, all the being able to um, send out recalls and things, just means that mm. you know we're all as busy as we ever were we're just doing more treatment in the same time um yeah it creates more space to yeah, fill yeah <laughs> to fill with with you know doing bits yeah <laughs> whatever so but so so i was i was, was going to say it's quite remarkable that you fit so much in so you obviously have a family you have your music you're yeah. a principal of practice and yeah. obviously a day-to-day -day clinician but yeah. you also um yeah. enjoy learning 
because you, you're involved, you're heavily involved in the BACD yeah. and their conference you were board um, yeah. member. You were heavily involved in the dental yeah. tubules. So that 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 yeah. learning element. That, that was a busy one. <laughs> it, it, it was. It, I was going to say it's been a busy one because I think I saw you yeah. both. I think I saw tubules yeah. and BACD and, and you, yes. you love it. Yes. You really was... enjoy being part of that. Yeah. And it's a... outside yeah, of the specific clinical learnings. Did Doug work, have a guitar is the question. Uh, I, 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 he did right. it. I, I saw the guitar present at Tubal's because he's in Tubal tones. Oh, I didn't yes. see the guitar at BAC. Um, I, did I? I, th- I think I did have a, a miniature guitar in my room. I didn't, <laughs> didn't bring it down. I had a little um, Taylor GS Coa Mini. Uh, it's at the back there somewhere. Um, yeah, so I did did take a guitar with me just in case I got bored, but I didn't have it. I, I think I played it once um, in the four Excellent. or five days I was there. Just in um, case, yeah. just in but case. Tub- tubules, tubules, I had four guitars with me or five, I can't remember, but yeah, because we were playing in the band on wow. the Thursday night. So yeah, it was a lecture- lecturing all day on my hands-on course mm. on the day then. Yeah, uh, but, two but 45 have, minute you, sets but, with but the band strike, in the evening. <laughs> but, but, but you strike me somebody who has the ability to suck like every moment of enjoyment out of the things you do. So going to these courses isn't just about the clinical learning. There's, got, there's, there's, there's more to it for you, isn't there? What, what, what other things does it give you for going to these, yeah. these events? I think a lot of, a lot of it is, is meeting people and, and I, I don't want to say networking because that almost sounds too businessy. It's, it's, mm. it's interactions with, you know, it's not a focused networking thing where I'm trying to, to gain something from meeting people because I'm not. Mm. Um, it, it is just meeting people, interacting, and if you know, mm. there's there's interesting things. So, you know, we a lot of the time I'm I, I get now quite a few messages on social media and things about digital dentistry and uh, asking me about scanners, three D prints, all that kind of stuff. Because um, and it, it's usually people I've met or because I've been on a, a lecture and then people ask me questions. I've given a lecture and people ask me questions. So I think I think that's the main thing. It's the interactions with people in a similar situation to yourself yeah. or want to learn from you or, or people I can learn off. So, um, you know, in the last few weeks, I've I've had a lot of questions, but also I've, I've been out for dinner with guys like Ashok Sethi, who's, you know, one of my oh, mentors yeah. and an amazing Le- uh, clinician so you know the fact I'm, I'm going out for for dinner with someone who's you know i i would love to be able to do some of the things he does surgically and also i'm sort of i'm getting questions on courses of people who are max fax consultants and things like that doing stuff that just blows my mind asking me about digital stuff so all of this is mm. that that sort of melting pot of, i don't think you ever want to be the guy who thinks i'm i'm the top guy everyone comes to me to ask questions because there's always so much learning from everyone um and i remember my dad always said to me that you learn more in the bar than you do in the lecture sometimes and i think yeah. that that stuck with me and i think going to these things to speak to people and 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 interact i think that's one of the biggest biggest part of any of these conferences or anything is mm. and you know the thing the tubular tones thing is great fun hanging out with simon um yeah andy uh, alan stewart and saab and just doing doing music stuff <laughs> you know the day before mm. tubules we went we went down to a, a practice studio about half an hour away and just spent five hours playing playing through our set lists and ruining our voices ready for the next day of lecturing and singing in the evening but it was you know great fun and that that kind of stuff it just it's all, mm. all human interaction isn't it it's all all good fun so that's that's yeah. what i that's what i like <laughs> yeah you've mentioned digits and sort of therapeutic as well oh yeah definitely, yeah definitely definitely yeah. yeah yeah i think and the you, thing is if you, you you don't feel so alone in the world if you if you're dealing with other people who are in a similar situation to you and that's the thing with dentistry it's a lonely job it's sat sat in your surgery mm-hmm. you and your nurse and the patient all day so yeah. actually being able to have those those sort of moments of interaction i think is massive hmm. you you've mentioned digital dentistry a few times in there in the you know you've got mm-hmm. cvtc scanners in your practice and many centuries about yeah. 3d printers as, as a kid, have you yeah. always been interested in tech or is it one of those things that as dentistry has evolved and you've seen the, the opportunity within digital dentistry, you've embraced it more? Yeah, I've always always been interested in tech. So my brother's very into computers and he works works in, in IT now. My dad was very into computers and, you know, so, so I've grown up with that sort of interest yeah. in computing and how things work. And my... Um, yeah, I, I suppose when I started in dentistry, that wasn't really a thing. There was there were digital X-rays just coming around twenty odd years ago when I graduated and things like that. But I, I think 
the the sort of ability to bring all these together um it's great i mean i i, I had my um computer my amiga 500 when i was 12 years old i think and you know it had things things like uh digital video capture devices on that and then i got a little recording dongle for it and then i got a pc later and I, so all the all the time when i was um a uni when i when i had my pc in my room i always had a recording set up for music and just like sort of mess around and play with my guitar and did some did some songs and midi midi keyboard inputs into stuff and just playing around with sounds which at the time was a re- i suppose a, a relatively um basic setup compared to what you can do these days nowadays obviously i've got my mm. my um there's a breakout box down here to plug all my guitars in i've got two monitor speakers microphones everywhere and all the however many guitars that i don't want to say say on a podcast um it's, it's a little bit embarrassing and uh yeah all the other stuff and you know electronic drum kit in the background all that kind of stuff so uh, the the stuff now is amazing and i've just mm. really enjoyed watching th- how things have developed and changed i think the thing with digital dentistry is um there's been the serex stuff and things like that for years mm. but actually seeing even how it's evolved in the past four five however long many years i've been sort of involved with three shape and using the trios um scanners it's it's changed massively and it always it's always changing which is is exciting mm. and a bit different and it's interesting to see what new bits come out and how you can apply them to clinical practice and how you can start mm. using that so mm. yeah i've always i've always had an eye on tech and i've enjoyed tech and I've, I've always found computers relatively intuitive so you know it's uh it's good good fun mm. <laughs> and, and how and I, how far into enjoy. digital dentistry are we yeah in terms of yeah it's not been around for that for that long you know are we still uh, early days mm. uh, 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 you know because obviously ai is starting think... to creep in as well now Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think we're we're sort of um, we're beyond the early adoption phase. I think we're into the mainstream adoption and sort of uh, early mainstream to mid mainstream now. I think it's getting mm. to the point where there's a lot of people getting scanners, whether they're getting the right scanner or not, another matter. But that depends on what type of practice they want to use it for. Um, and I think it's getting to a point now where the the new scanners that are coming out. I mean, they're, they're more wireless scanners. They're more scanners that can scan over Wi-Fi, and you can, don't need a big sort of acquisition unit. You have to wheel around between surgeries and cart up the stairs and things to do this stuff anymore. You all you need to move is a small um, camera, room to room. So I, I I think we're we're at the point now where it's a very feasible thing to, you know, rarely take an impression for dentistry still Mm. we take impressions there are still reasons why you need to take impressions but i think you know with a lot of the tech we can do it without impressions you can digitally scan majority of things ct scanning as you mentioned is taking a massive part in that especially implant planning um but also wisdom teeth um things like crown lengthening any surgical procedure there are benefits to having Mm. ct scans um so i think yeah it's a massive massive um, area and i think it's really coming to the point where people are, are starting to see it as real mm. option yeah. rather than a few years mm. ago where it's probably just picking up a toy mm. yeah is it also i know that chris chris talks about some work that he did with um Dentsply years ago um where they had mm. um, a new bit of kit whatever it was and they would explain technically what it can be done but then what what, what we did was mm. actually converted that into patient benefits and is all the, all the things yeah. that are available and happening in digital dentistry, are, are they clearly being converted into patient benefits or are they at a stage where they're enabling dentists to achieve <clears throat> better results or quick results or whatever it might be, but do patients see the benefit of, of digital dentistry? Yeah, I think, I think they do. I think without necessarily even having to convert it, a lot of the time the patients, when you do something like a digital scan or you... Um, make a crown same day or any of these things the patients are actually quite blown away by that and a lot of mm-hmm. patients are you know when i'm scanning them are saying what what's this and i've already explained to them what i'm doing but a lot of them don't <laughs> get what i'm saying so then then i'm there clicking around with this thing what's this and they turn around and go, wow that's an amazing bit of kit isn't it so i think the patients see the benefits from that perspective i think the risk we have at the moment is the dentists are seeing scanners as digital impressions and that alone so it doesn't matter what scanner you can get if you can get an impression out of it that's that's all you need whereas there are so mm-hmm. many tools 
wrapped in with these scanners that people aren't utilizing and that's a lot of when i when i do give lectures and talks and things a lot of the stuff is I'm, I'm showing how you can use these workflows. So starting with the end in mind for the patient. So, for example, doing a two-dimensional smile design, um, doing a photorealistic mock-up to give the patient an idea of where you're going and then working your treatment plan back from that. And that's the really exciting mm. thing, I think, with digital dentistry is, one, consent, two, litigation, um, and three, just predictability. The fact that you are going to the patient mm. from the very start, this is what I'm aiming to give you, this is what we're. This is how we're going to do it, um, and this is you know the end, the steps to get there. Um, mm. But also, the patient can then ask questions. And if you are doing this planning, and you say, right, I have this setup. I have all this setup on a three D digital model. You can look at it in so much more detail than if the patient's not there and you've got a set of models or you're looking at photos. Mm. You can actually zoom in and really sort of look into detail and say actually that's not going to work or this plan is mm. or write up a letter to the patient saying these are all the things that could possibly go wrong or right <laughs> or you know all that i think mm. focuses in on the or you can use a lot more detail from scanning and and you know your digital workflows just to work out how you're going to proceed with your treatment planning um and the other thing i i, I talk quite a lot about is co-diagnosis with the patient whereby you show the patient their digital scan photos photo overlays all that kind of stuff and discuss it with the patient the patient will then look at it and say oh i can see what the problem is or you know you say you're, you've broken this tooth and they say oh but that i don't like the look of that one or i don't like this one and actually then you get a dialogue mm-hmm. with the patient about their own teeth and their own problems and they're diagnosing their own problems so you're not going to a patient saying mm-hmm. you need a crown it costs x amount you're saying what do you think you need <laughs> and they're probably mm. you know potentially diagnosing more than you would as a dentist and then you can the get you into angles. that discussion the litigation angle is an interesting one isn't it in the fact that yeah. you can you know you're you're recording the scan <laughs> yeah so as people, and, you know people can see what's going i think that's a real interesting one actually mm, i think i think that's a, a big one because if you can if you can say to a patient so for example i had a, a patient a few years ago who i did some um little composites on her upper anterior teeth um, and she said to me, oh, you've, you've, they look great, great, thanks. But, and she phoned, this was the next day she phoned up and she said, they look great. But um, since you've done them, this tooth has moved. I was like, what? <laughs> she was saying a canine tooth and moved across her mouth. And I was like, um, what, since I put some composite on your teeth yesterday, uh, a rock solid tooth has drifted about four inches across your mouth. But I just sent her a picture of the scan and said, look, this is a scan we took however many months ago. That's where that's oh yeah sorry it just looks <coughs> looks different because you've you've put the, the fillings on so so you know that kind of thing oh, wow. even if it's you know a completely r- ridiculous thought that actually that tooth could have moved from a dentist's perspective from a mm. patient's perspective they don't know that they don't it's not yeah. a ridiculous thought to them that you could put something up here mm. and the tooth moved and if she felt one hundred percent that tooth was in a different place before I taught her tr- mm. uh, t- uh, treated her then. Instantly, she's uh, she's going to be thinking, oh, something's changed. But actually, if you've got that scan, you can go back and say, no, this was the presenting mm. situation. This is where you are. And there I was, think we don't take enough photos, let alone scans. My, yeah, yeah. So, sorry, one of my guys on the dense ply Serona thing, he was mm. he he was quite clever. And what he said was he effectively scans everybody's mouth when they arrive. And mm. he said, that way, then I've got a complete record of their teeth when yeah. they came to me. So if anyone wants, you know, if they break a tooth, <laughs> you can, yeah, say, right, you can you copy like it. it back the way it was. Yeah. And it's brilliant. It's, it's really I, clever ways, innovative used ways of using them, aren't they? Yeah. And so this is what I do now. Every new patient gets a scan regardless, you know, the, the, when they when they come in, the first thing they do is a scan um, just to, to record your presenting situation, just to say, look, actually, this is where, where you were when you came in. Um, the other mm. thing we use it quite a lot for is my nurse will then go into uh, the scans and she'll take uh, pictures of the scan and put that into treatment plan letters and uh, treatment presentations oh, nice. for the patients. And then we that's, again, another way of generating that conversation of consent. So we have a treatment plan um, PowerPoint that we put up on the screen, we chat through with the patient, and then we know, and that's all. Then she's typing away at the keyboard while I'm discussing with the patient. So that's a, a, about as valid of consent process as we can imagine getting because the patient's got all the information on each step of treatment. We've discussed it with them. We've said, this is, this is the situation. This is what I suggest to resolve it. 
what what do you think? And then they can ask the questions. Those are all noted down. And then you can prove the patient has not only been told what their problem is, their diagnosis, their treatment options. They've also discussed those treatment options and made a decision. And that's your mm-hmm. that's the whole of your your consent process done because you've got you've got a way of discussing that and, uh, and a I suppose a, a framework through which to discuss it. And I think that's a really good. Mm good option because if you know I, I hold up a little black and white x-ray to a patient and say see there you've got a hole you need a filling okay we'll book you in next week yeah. that's not consent that's just that's just telling a patient something that they don't understand mm-hmm. whereas this co-diagnosis i think is is a, a huge thing and, and a, a big part of consent i think it's really smart because actually if you think where you feel more engaged in the process um, I don't know whether it's buying a car or anything. Mm. It's more interesting and more exciting. And I guess with the new yeah. technology of other dentistry, it's never been easier for us as patients to feel involved mm. in that process with things appearing on TV yeah. screens mm. and then having those conversations. And I think turning in that way must help build a greater bond between dentist and patient and the trust bridge between the two as well, because yeah. they genuinely and, feel uh, they're uh, part and, of it. And an understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's massive. <coughs> so, I mean, I had a patient a few years ago, and this was before we were... Uh, no, it wasn't before we were scanning. We were scanning, but I, I had this chap who came in, and we took a filling out, and we looked at his tooth, and there was a crack running through it, and I, I he was having no symptoms from it. And I said to him at that point, look, we can refill it, we can put a crown on it, we can do this, that, and the other. Um, and I just said to my nurse at the time, just take a quick photo of that show. She got the SLR camera out, got a mirror, we snapped it, took a photo of this crack. So we got a full sort of, you know, HD <laughs> photo inside this tooth with a big crack running down the middle. And the guy says, oh, well, it's not hurting me, so can we fill it and we'll see how it goes. Anyway, about a year and a half later, the same chap comes back. This is hurting. This is the filling you did not that long ago. Why is it hurting kind of thing? And I said, um, I said, oh, I don't know. Usually, usually you know, it, it wouldn't hurt at that point, it would hurt straight after or not. So I'm not sure what's going on here. And then my nurse, nurse taps me on the shoulder and points to the notes and she said, and so I re- read what her notes were and it was just like, you know, cracking the tooth, these options discussed with the page. And she's brilliant. She writes tons of notes, you know, yeah. <laughs> pages and pages, reams of notes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all these these notes on, you know, she if she, a patient comes in and says, oh, I've cracked cracked a tooth she'll she'll write down patient cracked a tooth on marks and spencer's olive bread it's not just any olive bread it's it's a stone in marks and spencer's olive bread that's that's the kind of level of notes we're going to here um so so and you know there's this big picture put up on the screen with a crack right down the middle so i said to the patient oh no look you had a crack in the tooth we told you this was potentially going to happen and that that you know the tooth would need to come out if it did also we've got a note of what happened and when it was cracked and what you know all this kind of stuff. So I think, you know, that kind of level for, from a litigation point of view is where we need to be or what mm. we need to be doing. Um, and, you know, we're not going to do it every time. We're not going to get it perfect every time. But mm. if you've got a situation like that where you've got a crack in a tooth and you've got an HD um, photo of it and, you know, all these notes saying not only what tooth it was, mm. but which brand of olive bread it was cracked on, <laughs> you know, that's a, a different <laughs> level, isn't it? I, I don't. Mm, th- I don't think we're going to get this episode sponsored by MNS, are we? They're, they're olive bread. No, no, I don't think so. It was it was Aldi olive bread. Do Aldi <laughs> do olive bread? I don't know. Anyway, I've no idea. Would you say? I'm yeah. sure anyone that's still got a stone in bread won't be happy. No, no, uh, no. Um, it wasn't bread. It was. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, Doug, Doug, it, it was a locally that- shot pheasant with buckshot in. <laughs> Oh, there we go. Yeah, that was there it. There we go. Much yeah, safer. Much safer. Would you say your yeah. your dentistry has influenced your music, or your music has influenced dentistry, or are they just two separate parts of your life that, that run along happily but in parallel? I think. I think. I think there's sort of every part of your life will influence other areas, and I think the thing is, if you are particular about a certain thing and you find a degree of focus on it so like with guitar I, you know, probably teenage years I spent hours practicing guitar and you know you you I think it, it, it helps you focus and helps you develop a mindset on how you get places and I suppose when I was tr- when I was training as a dentist I'd spend a lot of time just listening to music while I was revising and reading stuff and it's interesting I remember my mum saying how can you possibly f- concentrate while you're doing that you know you need to turn the music off and just concentrate and then I'd turn the music off I'd look at the book and I'd fall asleep um so yeah. actually from my perspective it helped me um focus 
and I suppose I suppose there's lots of different interplay. Um, also, you know, playing the guitar it does does help quite a lot with finger mobility and dexterity. So hopefully, hopefully it's helped me a little bit. Mm. Um, you mm. know, build build muscles in my fingers that help me pull people's strong tongues and cheeks out of the way. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Actually, I wonder how many dentists just thinking on that dexterity thing i wonder how many mm. dentists do sort of play a musical instrument of some description or yeah. make models or something because you're, you're right it's such mm. a you know that i can remember frank the old frank you know frank taylor where the original guy he used to say on lectures he'd say you know you spend your whole day looking in, in a in a hole this big for a hole this big yeah. <laughs> and then you're you're yeah. trying to do all these things and it's, it's so true because i suppose as a as a patient you just like <laughs> in you yeah. go <laughs> and, you know we're talking now with magnification loops lighting all that kind of stuff you're talking fractions of millimeters mm. you're, you're looking at, at preparing and things like that and i suppose a degree of sort of dexterity muscle memory all that kind of stuff will come from practicing dentistry yeah. but also doing that that sort of hand-eye coordination the you know repetitive motion all that kind of stuff i think really helps on guitar and with dentistry so there's got to be some sort of mm. you know interplay and, and benefit it's a supremely uncomfortable working position isn't it really no matter how much they yeah. try and make it into you know whatever yeah. your band backs or whatever when yeah. you actually look at what you guys are doing the answer is you're yeah. you're yeah. constantly yeah. twisting doing or that. leaning you know, yeah. uh, I, I sometimes use I, I have a microscope so i use that and i use loops and i use a saddle stool and everything else but at the end of the day i'm six for five you know that i'm, I'm oh. gonna be i'm gonna yeah. i'm gonna get yeah, back, bending back over somewhere right? what, whatever happens I'm, I'm, i've got long levers so there's gonna be gonna yeah. be issues do you do exercise, Doug? Do you sort of do exercise um, for that? You know, just I've, I've never thought about really asking dentists whether they I'm do gonna back say strengthening exercise or stuff. <laughs> um, so <laughs> a, few, a few years ago, I was doing quite a lot um, of weights and core core stuff, and I did quite well on that. But I've, I, I must admit, over the last few years, I've definitely let let the um, let that go a bit. It's um, so when I was doing a lot of the weight lifting stuff, and uh, not weight lifting so much, weight training, I wasn't like. Mm-hmm. But um, I I did uh, can't play did, guitar then. Well, no, too bulky on the fingers. That was, and, yeah, that's um, right. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I can press the fence really the hard, no but chance. it breaks the neck, and I've got indents in my guitar where my fingers are gone. None of that. Um, I can press really hard, but not very quick. Um, yeah. But no, the um, I, I yeah, I was doing doing a lot more stuff, and I did find you know a lot of the back pain and things I was experiencing gone. Um, and then I'll probably rest on my laurels a bit since, and I haven't done done as much. But yeah, yeah. it's something I think. I think I. And again, this last few months has been absolutely manic, um, just with, so, as you're saying, tubules, BACD, um, and mm. in the inter- intervening weeks, I've had um, uh, lectures to give and things like that. So I've, I've been doing quite a lot the last mm. few months, and then obviously working in practice and all the other fathering and husbanding and all the other things that come along with that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's something I, I really should make more time for. And I think it's really important, but I just don't, don't really, uh, it, sometimes it, it drops by the wayside, but I've now signed up for a um, mm. hundred mile bike ride next May. So I'm doing my, oh, um, wow. this bike ride, uh, through, through London next May. So oh, I need I to get, James. James get on and get a bit of exercise. You got, got, got his bike recently, didn't you? He's on there as well, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, I saw him at BACD, and I, 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 I think I said to him, I don't th- I think I've ever met James before, and I think I, first thing I said to him is, "Oh, I'm, I'm on that bike ride." <laughs> Same one as you're doing next May. He probably thought this guy's very strange. <laughs> yeah, but no. So yeah, that should be good fun. Um, I, I, over the years, you've done very sporty things with the bike ride coming up and your scuba dive and snowboarding and the kickboxing. Yeah. Um, sport yeah. is, is often characterised as being, you know, people do it because there's a competitive element to it. Would you say you're a competitive person? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I yes. I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm, no. Uh, yeah. yeah. Not at all. I, no, I, I, am, I am competitive. Um, <laughs> I think... I, yeah, I, you know, I used to, I used to enter all the competitions, kickboxing, wise, you know, snowboarding, not so competitive then because skiers were always quicker. Um, 
And I, as I say, I've got size 15 feet, so they just trail in the snow when I try and turn. So that's not, you know, can't go too quick. It's more like, it's more like snow surfing than snowboarding when I do it because the board's so bloody big. Um, then, yeah, I, I guess, yeah, I, I, uh, relatively so. I don't think I'm stupidly competitive. I'm not the kind of person who turns everything into a competition. Mm. So, you know, I'm not, I'm yeah. not going to shake someone's hand and crush it till they cry or anything like that because I, I want to win. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I will be, I will be, I'd like to say healthily competitive. I still let my yeah. kids win sometimes when I play <laughs> games and things like that. I'm not going to, going to be that guy. Mm. <laughs> Honestly, um, I think it's healthy. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to punch I, you if I don't win. I, 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 I yeah. think being competitive is generally Depends healthy. Competition. And, and I, yeah. But mm. I, I worry sometimes that, that younger people, it's kind of getting lost in society where, you know, at school level, you can't compete. Yeah. You know, everyone gets a badge for coming yeah, seventh. I think, really I think you need it, don't you? It's, it's, yeah. You do. And then when someone does win, they're angry at them. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I... I was never, I was never the kid who cried if they lost a race because I wasn't great at running. I was always good at swimming, um, but yeah, I was, I was never that kid who cried when I lost. But I, mm. you know, obviously felt gutted if I did lose um, in the same way. Um, but you know, I think, I think a degree of competition is is ne- necessary. Really, if you don't, if you don't compete, um, you know, there's, there's, if there's no competition, there's no reason to strive to improve. I think. You know, yeah. if everything's at the same level, you'll you'll never you'll never improve. If if sort of every guitarist out there only played is- G, C, and D, you know, yeah. why why bother mm. with E and A minor? You know, there's no there's yeah. nothing to drive you to 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 get better. If if everyone was at the same level, we'd never get any progress in anything. So yeah. you know, if everyone said, "Oh, dentistry is just just about getting getting people out of pain," then we just take every tooth out that we came against and. We never looked ways to mm-hmm. replace them or everything. We'd all have no teeth. So, you know, there's, I think you need something to, to push you and drive you to, to improve. Mm. And life is generally competitive, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's as yeah. simple as that. Yeah. I could never quite understand in the, I can't remember, I was probably, it was after I went to school, but the governments had, you know, all this great idea that nobody ever won anything and nobody ever lost because mm. you didn't have winners at sports day. You just had competitors and stuff yes. like that. And it's just like, yeah. but life's a bit of a competition, really. <laughs> I, I, I suppose uh, I, I can see the, the sort of being kind to kids and not trying to damage their mental health. It, I can see why they do it. And I think that's going to be different with different types of kids as well. Some kids will thrive on competition, mm. th- some won't, some will hate competition. And I think it's more a, a an issue of blanket treating every every child in the same way. And if you've got a kid who's not competitive, yeah. isn't interested in competition, don't put them into competition. Mm. Be aware of it. Don't mm. insist they compete in school sports days. Don't insist they do this because they're not going to do it. Whereas if you've got all the competitive kids, then they'll push each other to get further. I, I think, you know, it, it's it's horses for courses. And I think, education of children is a massively important thing and i think mm. uh mm. having too much of a blanket way of educating and pushing children to do stuff or not is is a worry and i think you know you've got you've got kids who will learn very well in one way but if that's the only way that's taught because 90 percent of the kids will learn that way what happens to the 10 percent who don't you know they mm. they mm. don't uh, achieve their potential so i i think there's um there is a place for competition and I think there's a place for being very aware of people's differences and who who should be treated in a specific way based on their ability to compete or their inability to compete. Um, and I think it's about education, as you say. Mm, I think it's mm. about education. And, and <clears throat> I have this great thing that I must have told so many people about. There was a TV show years ago where basically they um, they took people and they just assessed them on non-academic sort of ideas mm. and then i can remember them saying to this woman who worked in an office they said ah, you'd make a really good free diver and she said but i can't swim and they said yeah yeah but you've got the temperament and they said would you be prepared to try and she tried and she became british champion free diver and, and yeah. <laughs> it was brilliant because it was not academic it was about her attributes and i always think it, it's always stuck with me in the fact of yeah you know everyone's got a skill 
It's just we need yeah. to find it sometimes. I, I, I just worry if I had that kind of conversation, they'd say something like, you make a really good mortician. Why? Because you're not funny, <laughs> you're not friendly, and you know, <laughs> you'd work best on your own with dead people. Yeah, okay, thanks. Yeah, I, I, I'd end up with so, something really <laughs> embarrassing, you know, some, no, no, no offense to any morticians listening. <laughs> or, you know, you, you know you'd, be, you'd make a re- you'd be the world's best, something really embarrassing. I don't know. I, 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 I'm, I'm being very aware that I can't insult anyone now. <laughs> so, I'll, I'll just, I'll just stop, stop before I say something. Even yeah. making apologies to the morticians in there. I, I, I don't think we get heavy, heavy listening numbers from the mortician community. No, uh, so I think you're, I'd be surprised if we got you watch it all now. All of a sudden, they'll be like the, the the British Morticians Association have their public enemy number one. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, he's, yeah. he's a dentist. We facilitated dog. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, he's dead and buried. <laughs> Sorry, bad mortician joke. Doug, we 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 always um, we always finish up in the same way, where we like to like to get to the the core of who okay. you are. So, if you were given the opportunity to mm-hmm. be a fly on the wall in a situation, um, where where would that be, and when would it be, and who would you be with? Yeah, I'm going to be interested in this one. Yeah, so I, I had a, obviously. I, I had a think. I had to think about this, and once I got all the wildly inappropriate stuff out of the way, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, there there are a few. Yeah, no, I just won't, won't even go into that. Sorry, I'll, <laughs> they're, they're all going around my head now. So I was thinking, <laughs> I'd love to. <laughs> um, yeah. No, anyway, uh, I'll, I'll carry on. Um, what I was thinking was <laughs> don't, the, don't um, the I'd love the to be, yeah, sorry, <laughs> I, my mind went, went way off then. I was, yeah, Meg, Megan Fox featured it. It was all kind of weird. No, I'd love to be a, a fly on the wall. So I, I was thinking when Dave Grohl was writing a song like Everlong, mm-hmm. or, you know, just to see where, where he went with, you know, what the creative process was, how he, how he sort of, when from oh, you know this, this i've got this chord okay i'm going to do that to a drop d tuning and then i'm going to mm. play this and then you know how does that how did he how did he come up with did he start with the guitar did he start with the vocals did he start with mm. um you know hello i'm waiting here for you and then put the guitar to that i just love mm. I, i'd love even more to have a conversation so a, a talking fly on a wall would be even yeah. better because i could say what are you thinking right now and he goes shit a talking fly um you know that, <laughs> that kind of stuff um have you no, ever but, seen that one with riders on the storm on youtube no so there's a great one on Rise of the Storm, and the guy says he 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 basically goes through how they got to create Riders and the Storm, and it's mm. fascinating because I'm I'm not a musical creative, and and I, obviously you are, and there's it just strikes me that someone goes oh that could be quite good, <laughs> and yeah, then flip, yeah. and then that refining process is just fascinating. Yeah, and I think I think being able to know what someone you know is thinking while they're doing that, how they got there, mm-hmm. how you know what. Just that process fascinates me of how different, because obviously every different musician sounds different, but they have a sound. So you listen mm. to a Foo Fighters song, you know it's a Foo Fighters song because yeah. mm. of the way it's been written or certain certain chord progressions, certain bridges, certain things they use that are that Foo Fighters sound. And whether it's um, a cognizant thing that they actually think, right, this is what we put in here, or it's just something they like the sound uh, of, so yeah. they play it again and again, and it always features in, or that sort of certain way of turning that chord progression round into a chorus versus mm. versus versus versus. <laughs> that works well. <laughs> um, that that you know that that's quite quite interesting to me. Although but, that said, so, if, so if I had, had been there, and and the song Everlong then features the line, "Oh my God, a talking fly" or something like that, it might have ruined the song <laughs> and Dave Grohl's entire career. Um, but anyway. <laughs> but so many bands have that as well, don't they? You know, you say, so I'm thinking of Coldplay yeah. as well. If you hear Coldplay music, even yes. if you hadn't heard the tune before, you'd probably know it was Coldplay. But Dave Grohl was in Nirvana as well before the Foo Fighters. But that was, Yeah, so that, he was that, the drummering. In- yeah, but that was quite different. So obviously there was a reinvention with the mm. Foo Fighters that was distinctly different from Nirvana. Yeah, so I think probably you find, you'd find that a lot of the songs written by Nirvana were written by Kurt Cobain right. um, and then Dave Grohl as well, or they were written by Kurt or they were written by Dave or, you know, a combination mm-hmm. of factors. And then I suppose Dave Grohl probably wrote a lot of the Foo Fighters stuff. But if you listen to um, the first 
album he wrote, which was actually just the EP t- title Foo Fighters, the first two songs on it, Big Me and um, This Is A Call, both of those songs sound very different to later on Foo Fighters right. songs. Um, they're quite quite mel- melodic, quite light, quite sort of mm. fun songs. Very much changed then in the colour and the shape when he had a band behind him. So the interesting mm. thing about the Foo Fighters EP is he wrote and recorded all of it himself, I think in about a week. So he wrote, wow. he did he did the bass lines, he did the guitar, he did the drums, he did the vocals, he did the backing vocals. It was all Dave Grohl. And then he got a band to play it live later. And that's when he sort of built the Foo Fighters. So he wrote, it, uh, wrote and recorded the whole thing himself. But then I suppose as more people featured into the band and, you know, they wrote stuff together, I suppose mm. it probably changed. And, you know, everyone matures and changes throughout their career. Um but yeah, I think I think all of that's fascinating how how it's different. And as you say, Coldplay have a very specific sound. Yeah, I remember yeah. when I was um, when I was uh, learning guitar, not, probably even later than that, when I was teaching guitar. Um, what my my guitar teacher was a chap called Adrian Rose, who's a phenomenal guitarist, um, really nice guy, and you know I still see him every so often nowadays. Um, and he, uh, I, sa- I remember saying to him at one point uh, about he said something about Manic Street Preachers, and I said. But th- the thing about Manic Street Peaches is all their songs sound the same. And he said, yeah, but it's a good song. (laughs) (laughs) I just, it just took me a moment. I was like, oh yeah, it is a good song, but (laughs) crack me up. It's one one good song (laughs) repeated again and again throughout all the albums. But you know, you get, you get that, you know, you do get that. Some some bands are much more samey in their music, Mm. you know, as Mm. it goes through rather than, you know, other bands have a bit of it, but there's always the sound, isn't there? There's always a sound. Like you hear a song, you go, "Oh, this is yeah. whoever." You you can tell, can't you? Or the majority. Yeah. This is Adamant. Yes. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> with his two with his two yeah. drums sets or whatever. It was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was was that Prince Charming? By saying Adamant, yeah. yeah, Prince Charming, yeah, it was yeah. Adam uh, who? Doug's Sorry, I, I, that's that's way beyond my time. I should yeah. say, Adam who? Yeah. Thanks, Doug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> quick, yeah. quick, quick backtrack. Yeah, so whether there's a whether yeah, okay, bye. I, I was going to say whether whether there's a link to the follow up question here, Doug, and because our follow up question is if you could meet somebody, if you'd have given the opportunity to sit down mm-hmm. have a, a cup of tea or a pint of beer, who would you like the opportunity to sit down and meet? So this is interesting because I, I was on another podcast a few weeks ago and I, I was worrying everything I said was going to be exactly the same, so I tried to mix it up and throw a few extra different words in. Um, so the um, so the, 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 it's a very different answer to a similar question that was slightly different. Um, so believe it or not, it's not a musician. Um, and the, the question then was about um, a dinner party with three people, um, whereas obviously this is one-on-one. So I've thought about this again, and I think it'd be Ryan Reynolds. Oh. A really the, random the, one. The, is it a Canadian actor? Canadian actor who played Deadpool. Yeah. Yeah. Just because I yeah. think he is... He is hilarious, and I would love to get to know if that's actually what it, you know. You see, uh, uh, we were really watching like that, yeah. the Wrexham FC um, program because you know he's right, bought yeah. he Wrexham FC, yeah, with um, the other guy, yeah, bought it with with a guy, yeah, with um, Rob McElhenney. Um yeah. and so he's bought this Welsh football club that's failing, and you know the whole series is about how he's how he's doing it. But he just comes across as a really funny guy. But um, there was a scene in that where he's in the pub with this this Welsh guy. And he said something, you know, just being funny like he like he seems to be. Um, and this Welsh guy obviously took quite a lot of offence to it. And I thought they're going to be he's going to be swinging at him. And I was thinking, bloody hell, this is a this is quite interesting. But I just think it'd be a very funny guy as long as he didn't turn it on you. Um, yeah. And yeah, yeah, just it's just funny seeing this sort of this working class lad from Wales getting pissy with Ryan Reynolds just really abused me. I don't know why. Maybe I shouldn't. Um, and the, the, this. You know uh, this, this scene, but yeah, I think he'd be a really interesting person to meet, and he's he's quite funny. And if you look at his Twitter feed and Instagram and mm. social media stuff with his wife Blake Lively, they're always ribbing each other quite badly. And I think that's quite uh, you know, I, you know, I try not to to get into that kind of spat online with my wife because I know I'll lose. Um, but yeah, it yeah, seems quite quite amusing. Yeah, I'll lose one way or another, Brilliant. whether it's online or in real life. <laughs> I, I will always lose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, I've enjoyed your company immensely. Um, like I say, you're you're Cheers. always yeah, it's been brilliant. You're, you're, you're been always good fun. good fun. You've always got great stories. I think <clears> the way you uh, are so relaxed in your outlook 
with everything um, is, a, is, a, is a credit to you. I think the music has a big influence on that. Honestly, I, I, I think it's a, it's good stuff. So I think you're, you say that I'm, I'm like a swan, approach. <laughs> like this underwater. <laughs> yeah, I look relaxed on the surface, but actually in here, it's all going round. Yeah. So, yeah. so many of us are. So many of us should get, are. We should get Doug to write a dentology podcast song. <laughs> yeah. I, so I was on. I did um, a podcast with uh, two guys, Stuart um, Campbell and Michael Tang, up in Scotland. So they they mm. they did a podcast. Yeah. Uh, I did that with them right before right before the lockdown. And since then, they've asked me to do a few songs to put on. So a few of their podcasts have had my, had me doing a. <laughs> doing doing tunes and one of them the scottish guys and they they asked me to do um the same jeans by oh, i can't remember the band um the scottish band anyway and the, the, I, I did this very scottish song as, a, as the intro to one of their podcasts so yeah I, i'm not sure it increased the listeners in any way shape or form but, uh, <laughs> oh you know two before. scottish bands i think it's the proclaimers and the bay city rollers so <laughs> yeah, the proclaimers do you yeah. say the proclaimers first? I said that. Okay, yeah. that's the only two I know. The yeah. Okay. I, I, I thought I thought you said something other than proclaimers, and I thought you can't miss the proclaimers on that one. Yeah. No. But yeah, the the proclaimers. Um, no, I can't think of the name of them. Yeah, the same jeans. Um, oh, yeah. it could have been wet, wet, wet. I suppose they're Scottish, aren't they? Yeah. Are they? I think Charlene Charlene Spiteri from Texas. She was a uh, she is Scottish. Oh, yeah. Lewis Capaldi. Scottish bands. Lewis Capaldi. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, he's Scottish. Yeah, so yeah, I said this. Point, sorry, so. a funny, funny story that happened. So I was um, I, there was something about Lewis Capaldi on, on on telly. Oh, he was on. There was a picture of him or something. And I, I turned to my nurse and I said, Lewis Capaldi's a funny looking one, isn't he? Um, and and she just burst out laughing. I said, why? And she said, oh my my um. My sister's boyfriend thinks he looks like you. And I just <laughs> self burn. They're rare. And the other one that happened okay. to me was I was in um I was in Alton Towers, and I was walking along in Alton Towers, and this guy said to me, "Oh, can you tell me the way?" He goes, "Excuse me, mate, can you tell me the way to?" And he went, "Oh my God, you look just like James Corden." <laughs> and I said, "Where did oh. you want to go again?" And I said, he said, oh, whichever ride. I said, it's up there. No, I don't. And just walked off. And he said, as, as if that's ever something you say to someone in polygon, you look just like James Corden. Great, thanks. So I look like James Corden and Lewis Capaldi. <laughs> Especially Capaldi. you're six foot five. And yeah, a six foot five James Corden, Lewis Capaldi mashup who ends up in the end looking just like Alec Jones. So I don't know. I have many celebrity lookalikes. Yeah, never, never Brad Pitt. <laughs> So. No, 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 no. You've got lots of options Sinner to choose thing. from, though, which is good. Exactly, and none of them particularly flattering, sadly. And on that, on that, on that, on that, I think we should go back to Ryan Reynolds. To be honest, I think that was a much better. We could finish <laughs> yeah. on a high. If someone story. told me I look like Ryan Reynolds, <laughs> yeah, 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 so, yeah, and then this other guy said I look just like Ryan Reynolds in his peak, you know. Perfect, perfect. What we do is we'll <laughs> edit that end. until we yeah. finish on the Ryan Reynolds, um, as opposed to a balloon yeah. that sounded like it was yeah. slowly deflating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, a, a, a Lewis Capaldi-esque. Thank you and good night. James <laughs> Corden. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right, Doug, God. God, we'll let but you, we'll let you, go. We'll you let know, go. A good singer and a funny guy. I can take it. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah that's true. absolutely yeah, absolutely take, it's, it's been a it's been yeah, a blast thank you very much and like i say uh, we know you um we know you're busy we've got a lot going on so it's been a it's been a fabulous chat thank you for listening to this episode of dentology where we discuss the business of dentistry if you like what you heard please do subscribe where you found this episode that would be amazing and also follow us on instagram